And that is our prayer this morning, that God would speak, that God would speak to every one of us, that God would speak to our hearts. We've been actually studying together the parables of Jesus. We've been studying uh, the, the parables um, that he has to teach us how to live, how to look more like him, um, how to share in the goodness of the new life that he's given, because it's not just about baptism. It's not just about um, making a confession, I believe in Jesus, but it's about this new life that he's given us. It's about living out that new life. Um, As I'm getting things set up here, uh, let's take a moment to just remember, he's called us. He's called us to make disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Baptism is part of it, but now it's about learning to follow Jesus in all things. So we're in a parable today uh, in Luke 18. And as you may be wanting to find it on your phone or look at your Bible, uh, we're in Luke chapter 18. I just want to report to you that God is doing some good things at Valley Baptist Church. Notice it's getting a little fuller in here. Keep coming. Invite some more friends. I'm just going to warn you. Don't come late. It's filling up. The more college students they start coming, I mean, the semester's on, the more it's filling up. Don't come late. You're going to be in the balcony or something. You're going to be in an overflow. Don't, you're going to want to be, because God is doing something. There were 50 people here playing board games, volleyball, that kind of stuff this past Friday. 50. That's a lot of people. There were 35 at, or 30, 31 at, at UMBC and 25 at Towson this week. That's another 50 people. There was pickleball this week. I don't even know who was at pickleball. I wasn't at pickleball. Um, uh, it's usually about 20 there. I mean, all of a sudden, 120 people. <laughs> the Lord is using people in this church to reach out. To, and he's using you to reach out to make disciples. That's what God has called us to do. Well, part of that disciple-making process then is to hear what Jesus said, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. So let's look at one of the places where Jesus was teaching his followers, and he uses parables. He uses these stories to illustrate a spiritual point. And I think this is one of the critical ones that, well, you might not think it applies to you, but let's see how maybe it does. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, it says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness... And they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told a story. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers or evildoers, adulterers, or even (coughs) this tax collector over there. (coughs) I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth, a tenth, ten percent of all that I get, I give to God. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you that this man, The tax collector, the one who said, God, have mercy on me. This man who cried out, he said, this man, rather than the Pharisee, rather than the one who thought he was righteous, went home justified before God. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
a short story. It's a short parable. And honestly, for most of you, you're thinking, okay, I got it. You got this one, right? I got it. Um, <clears throat> there's an obvious meaning to this one, right? There's an obvious meaning to this story. He said it in verse 9. It comes out. Um, the gospel writer Luke tells us what the meaning and who this is directed to. It says this. Um, to those who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Or some of you are already going, whew, this one's not for me. How many of you are already there? You already had that thought. To those <laughs> who are confident in their own righteousness and look down, that's not me. I don't look down on other people. No, 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 no. I know that I've been a Christian for a while. I've heard the good news of Jesus repeatedly again and again that we can't earn salvation. It's not up to us. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. It's all him. I, yeah, I, I'm one of those. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in the righteousness that I have in Jesus, not of my own. Sometimes we think that this doesn't apply to us, but hold on. Maybe we just need to take a step back. Maybe we need to look a little deeper into this parable. It says this, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Now, those of you who have been around Bible knowledge and the story of Jesus for a while, you know who the Pharisees were. Um, the Pharisees were actually a religious sect in Judaism. Um, they were very, very influential with the populace of the time. They believed in the whole Old Testament. They believed in all the prophets said. They believed in the books of Moses, and they prided themselves on trying to keep all of the 600 plus commandments of the, of, the new, of the Old Testament. Not only so, they wanted to keep the rules that were about the rules. Wait, what? Do you ever make rules about your own rules? My classes have rules, right? You have to turn your paper on a certain point or you get 10 points off. You have to uh, do, get these right on your quiz or you only, if you use ChatGPT, it's an automatic F. You know? There are all kinds of rules we're not, we have to follow. But sometimes people like really wanna make sure. I can always tell the student that does that. You know, they're writing me like, okay, when I have to make a citation on my paper, I want to make sure I'm not plagiarizing. Do I have to cite this? Do I have to cite this? And I was like, just cite it all, people. <laughs> Quit bothering me. That's what I keep thinking. Or, or when they, if I, can I turn it in at 1201 uh, and it's, not, it's still on time? That we, we always sometimes will make rules like, I'm going to do my paper a week in advance. Or I'm going to, and we try to make sure there's a buffer. The Pharisees were really good at making buffers. They wanted to make sure you didn't break a commandment. They wanted to make sure God was honored by their own righteousness, by their own works. And so this Pharisee was one of those who wanted to make sure that he kept all of God's rules. And he felt pretty good about himself. He feel like he's, in, he's a type A. He's an overachiever. And then in the time of Jesus, there were the tax collectors. Now, that may not mean that much to you. We're hitting tax season. Anybody upset about the tax collectors? <clears throat> the tax collectors in Jesus' time were especially hated. They were despised because these were the collectors of the taxes for the Roman occupying army the Roman Empire that had conquered the nation of Israel, that were forcing these taxes from the people. These tax collectors were fellow Israelites. 
They were people who had said, okay, I am going to basically turn in, keep track of all of my family, all of my friends, all of the people I know in my hometown. I will keep track of them for Rome and make sure they pay their taxes. I will make sure they give the amount of money. And anything I collect extra, the Romans were allowing the, the tax collectors to keep. Wait, this is not a good system. They, they could abuse this power. They, they, they could use it to make themselves wealthy. And guess what? Since they weren't liked by their family and their friends and their townspeople, why not become wealthy? It was so much, uh, they were so despised that typically the phrase was, the tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. Just, just lump them in with a group that is not living according to God's law, totally betraying his own people, totally, they're outcast from society, and honestly, they were wealthy and just lived it up and just sort of did their own thing. How about you this morning? Do you realize that, that we can be sort of one of those types of people, right? We can be those that are like, I fit in. I, I, I'm doing what I think is acceptable. You know, this is what I grew up in the church. I, I, I know the way I should be. I dress the right way. I act the right way. I do the right things. Or the tax collector, the one who's sort of like, yeah, I've abandoned all that. I've gone my own way. I'm making my own things. I'm going to decide what's going to make me happy. No one from society, no one is going to tell me what I need to do. We can be a tax collector. We can be a Pharisee. I'm gonna to switch to this for just a minute. I think that'll be a little bit easier for me. Uh, here's what I want you to realize from this truth, from this little passage, that there's these two. Number one, <clears throat> both of us tend to compare ourselves to the other. All of us have this temptation to go into a comparison trap. We can all tend to think that, oh, I'm doing it the right way. I'm living life the right way. I'm being, well, I'm following the rules. Rule keepers out there, that's you. Some of you are the ones out there. I, I, I got the little look from the person who, my wife definitely follows. She likes to set the rules, actually. Um, she doesn't always like the rules that she doesn't think are important, she doesn't think apply to her. But she, she likes to set the rules and for her classroom and others. And so she kind of gave me that look like, you're talking to me, I know. Um, yeah, okay. Um, some of us are like, we like to flaunt the rules. That's actually, I, I'm, a, I'm a rule follower. Some like to flaunt the rules. They like to go their own way. They, like, they think that's what life is about. But here's the reality. Comparing ourselves to others can actually keep, ourselves, keep us from making an honest self-evaluation. Can, can keep us from making an honest self-evaluation. You see, I think we're quick to often be like the Pharisee. Look what he says. Look in verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And he lists all the people that he thinks are the batters. You know, those who rob, those who are evildoers, adulterers, even those tax collectors that have betrayed us, those people that are just out for wealth and riches. You know, it's those guys that are the bad guys. I'm a good person. I'm a good, surely I'm a good person. I always, interestingly, um, at the beginning of the semester, uh, for my students, I give, let them tell me who they are. And since I'm teaching philosophy, I say, what's one philosophical question that interests you? And they can ask anything. You know, do we have free will? Are there aliens on other planets? And I mean, I get some wild questions. Two of the ones this time were, am I a good person? Am I a good person? 
down in our core, there's something that's like, I'm okay, right? Grade me. I'm going to make the cut, right? God has to be pleased with me. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not one of those. Maybe we don't feel like we're the most righteous person at all of all time, but maybe like Mother Teresa or something, but surely I'm good enough. Done well raising my family. I, I have paid my taxes. I, I, I've done all these, these charitable things. Surely I'm good enough. I'm not like the bad guys over there, those people. So quickly we come to a place where, where we try to make our righteousness, we try to have our self-worth, and we try to have our standing before God related to what we have done or what we have accomplished, or at least we're not as bad as that guy. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, who himself was a Pharisee, who himself said, according to the law, I was faultless. But when he realized the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, he realized that, no, 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 none of us really stand before God completely innocent, completely perfect. In Romans chapter 2, it says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, I struggled with this verse for a long time. I struggled with this passage because, wait a second, isn't that exactly what the Pharisee is saying? I haven't been a robber. I haven't been an adulterer. I haven't done these ones that I consider really bad. Surely I'm innocent of all of these things. And yet, as we look at the Scriptures, it's just not true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I've never, like, held a gun to somebody or forced, you know, tried to carjack something. But are there ways that I have, well, paid the least amount that I could? Are there ways that I have tried to get ahead uh, of somebody else? Are there ways that I have robbed God in, of my devotion, of my life? Are there ways that I have been selfish? Yeah, there probably are. Oh, I haven't been this adulterer. Jesus said, if you ever even look at someone else lustfully, if you even have those kinds of thoughts, and a lot of us who are married probably thought, oh boy, boy, I, you know, have I made this big mistake? Oh boy, if there's somebody else out there. Now, not me, of course, because it was perfect marriage here. <clears throat> I, but the truth of the matter is, all of us can be disloyal in our hearts. All of us have not been faithful at every turn. We who pass judgment, the scripture says, we do the same things. This one came to a to a to a, a interesting reality in my life as my my brothers, my siblings. We've all been thinking about my parents, and we all live in different parts of the country. Um, this is part of the modern American experience. We don't always live near our families. We don't always near live near our our, our parents, and all of a sudden. As my parents get a little older and realize, hey, in the next little while, the years coming up, they're going to need more help from us. And yet we're living so far apart. How do we take care of them? You begin to compare, don't you? Which one of us has the least important jobs so that you have to move home and take care of the parents? Which one of us has the least amount of friends or least amount of family or, 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 or roots in a community so you have to move back home to take care of parents? And of course, I mean, my job is pretty important and I feel like I've got all these family and friends and responsibilities and they're to God, so obviously it's not me. Um, and so I've just kind of let my brother... Isn't that a comparison? Isn't that just saying my friendships are more important than yours? My relationships, my ministry, my 
I've had to kind of really do some self-evaluation. How am I putting myself above someone else? How am I in this trap where what I'm doing is sort of worth more than what other people are doing? I think we can become these people. And I think that's part of what our family fights are about, right? I mean, it happens, right? Family fights. Whose career is more important? Who has more work to do in the house? Who is more responsible? Really, you need to do the dishes because I did the lawn. We compare ourselves. I'm working so hard. I'm doing all these things. We end up being like the Pharisee who says, my righteousness really is about what I have done and what I have Likewise, some of us are more like that Pharisee, more like the tax collector. We've sort of just done our own things. Now, I would say that all of us have been that way somewhere, right? There have been places where you know God has called you to a deeper walk with him. You know God has called you to a different sort of life. And you have actually chosen, no, I'm doing my way, my thing, my choice. I, 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 I'm flaunting expectations and doing it my way. I think so often we can be like the tax collector, or the publican. Brothers and sisters, the first thing I think this parable calls us to do is to take an honest evaluation. Am I trying to compare myself to others? Am I just trying to live my own way? But second, I think this, this, this parable actually shows us that so often when we compare ourselves to others, it keeps us from understanding our real significance. It keeps us from understanding our real significance. Look at what the, the Pharisee says when he prays. He says, look, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, <clears throat> the, the, oh, oh, yeah, I'm doing this. The Old Testament, the Old Testament has certain requirements. Um, fasting is not necessarily one of them, but it's a good thing. It was a good spiritual practice. But this is actually the first mention of what became a pharisaical practice, that every Monday and every Thursday they would fast. Now, this is the first mention of that in history. Uh, here we have it, right here. And it begins to grow. It becomes a tradition that he was kind of leading a movement. I'm going to lead the twice-a-week fast movement. Now, maybe it was a weight loss program. I don't know that he was trying to sell. But I, I do think it was probably this idea that how can I be more righteous than the next guy? How can, how can I show how good I am? And this sort of thing that, that begins to, 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 to believe that my significance is in what I do. Oh, I give, yes, I give a tenth. I mean, the scripture says you're supposed to give a, a tithe or a tenth of what you've earned. But he's saying, I give a tithe of even what I get. I remember my grandmother, <clears throat> when she gave all of her, her children, my dad and his siblings, gave them a certain amount of money towards the end of her life. She said, oh, I'm going to go ahead and bequeath this to you, to you, and to you, and to you, but you are required to tithe on it. You have to give 10% of it to the church. And I thought, yeah, okay. You could just go ahead and subtract it out to make sure, because I trust this one, but I don't trust that one. <laughs> yeah, I, you could have made sure it happens, but the idea was this guy saying, I, I don't get, give 10% of what I earn. I'll go beyond that. Anything I get, even as a gift, I'm giving 10% back to God, as if somehow that made him righteous. But I'm telling you, it's what he thought his worth was in, his activities. Do you have your little spiritual resume? God must be pleased with me because I give at least five hours a month uh, to, to uh, social causes. Oh, but you, you don't understand. Does anybody see me when I'm up here and I, I, I'm doing this extra work at the church building? Or, oh, you don't see, but I made this hospital visit. Oh, God's got to be happy with me. Jesus says that many will say to him on that day, 
Lord, didn't we, we cast out demons and prophesy in your name? And Jesus will say, away from me, I never knew you. It's not about your works. Romans chapter 5, it says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does not love you because of what you do. Did that sink in? God does not love you because of what you do. In fact, God can never love you more than he does right now. He loves you the maximum amount. God so loved the world that he sent, his only son. He already sent while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, while we chose to betray and leave Lord. God loved you with the, the love that sent his own son to die for you. There is no more love. It is the maximum amount of love. God loves you, period. You can't make God love you less either. God's grace is sufficient. In Romans 5, he goes on to say this. Now to the one, or Romans actually chapter 4, he says this. Now to the one who works, his wages are credited as a gift, not as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who doesn't work, who didn't earn it, who didn't do anything but just trust God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It is a gift. It can't be earned. Ephesians chapter 2 says the same thing. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. No one can boast. You don't become a Christian by earning it. Jesus earned it for you. He paid the price for you. The Pharisee can't, is not more righteous than, than the tax collector. It's the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And that's it. Period. Done. Some of you, you are, being, you, you are being kept from the Lord because you're trusting in your own righteousness. It's exam time. My first unit's up. This week and next week, I'm passing out exams. I got, I got a little test. See, see if they've done their homework. See if they've done their reading. Have they studied? I don't make it too hard. But really, what is it for? Well, I got to turn in grades and somehow I have to figure them out. Maybe that's what, that's what exams are for. But really, if you're going to talk to my wife, who's the education professor, she'll tell you that exams are for helping people really make sure they learn and have learned it. It's giving them an opportunity to reflect on what they've learned and not learned, and they can see it very clearly. I'm pretty convinced for some of the students, it's just an opportunity to compare. There's a little cartoon that'll pop up that I found, <laughs> and it has this young man going, hey, what did you get? Because he got an A, and the young lady sitting beside him got the C, right? Hey, what did you get? Why is he asking what she got? Does he care? No, he wants her to go, oh, I didn't do so well, but what did you get? Oh, well, you know, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I got an A. Sometimes we just ask those questions, you know, just because we're trying to really just compare. We, we, we want to show off how well we did. We want to kind of like make ourselves feel better. We miss the honest evaluation, I think, um, because we're too busy trying to compare ourselves to one another. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Brothers and sisters, it is an absolute falsehood to think that one of us is better than someone else, that someone has a higher status in the kingdom. We all have the responsibilities that God has given us, and we are all only made righteous in his sight through the gift and the grace of Jesus Christ.
Now, can we miss doing what God calls us to do? Absolutely. <laughs> can we be not walking in that grace um, and experiencing what he has for us? Absolutely. But comparing ourselves to each other really keeps us from understanding our real significance. It's not in the grade you make. It's in what Jesus has done for you. His love is proven. I've used this illustration often, but it made a whole lot of sense to me. Some of you guys are pet people. You take care of your dogs, you take care of your cats, you take care of your birds, you take care, you know, you feed them, you care for them, you like them. You you love them even. I I get it. I'm not a pet person. I just, we've got rabbits. They eat the grass in the backyard. They're fine. Uh, It's not that I don't like the animals. They're fine, but it's just, you know, it's a lot of work, and I just, I don't know. I'm I'm not into it. But I'm pretty sure for most of you that you wouldn't truly sacrifice yourself, your life even, to save your pet dog or cat. Some of you are like, yeah, I would. I don't know. i got to be honest. But your son or daughter, absolutely. You see, the cross showed us something. When God sent his own son to die for our sins, he's showing he doesn't love you like a pet that he just cares for and feeds and kind of happy to have around. He loves you like a son. He loves you like a daughter. He has made you his family. God cares for you and loves you so much uh, that he sent Jesus. We miss our significance. We miss it when we try to earn it by some kind of our own righteousness. When we do things to love the Lord, to show him, we're just giving back to him. We're just giving back to him the love that he's fully and always given to us. Well, finally this morning, I just want this to be very, very clear because I think it's clear, it needs to be clear for someone today that <clears throat> comparing ourselves to other people can actually keep us, keep us from God. What? Look what Jesus said. Look how he concluded the story. I tell you, this man, who is he talking about? The, 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 the tax collector, the one who repented, the one who cried out to God about his own sins, asking God to have mercy, who beat his breast, just saying, Lord, I can't believe the man I've become. God, can you forgive me? This man who repented, this man who cried out to God in faith, asking for forgiveness, this man went home justified. What does justified mean? It means righteous. It means made righteous. It means uh, meeting all that God requires. He is in right relationship with God. Why? Because he cried out in faith. It says, because for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This word justified that described the tax collector, the one who was sinful but repented, this righteousness is the same word that the apostle Paul uses in Romans chapter 3 when he says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What? It's righteousness. It's given by God because he says this, there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is Romans chapter three. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. It's what Jesus did. It's through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He paid for our sins. He died in our place. He's the one that redeemed us, that purchased us, that made a way for all of our sins to be forgiven. It's not how good you are because you've already failed. You've already not been qualified, but Jesus qualifies you by what he has done. So it's not really about your good works. It's about the great work that Jesus did on the cross. 
There's two views, right? There's someone sitting here who's saying, I'm not really that bad of a guy, man. I'm not the sinner. I'm certainly not as bad as all these other people out there. And then there's some of you that are sitting here saying, I'm too bad. I'm too awful. I've never walked with God. He would never want me. He could never love me. He could never save me. I'm not as good as those churchgoers. They're the ones that that God could save, but, but not me. I'm too far away. Both are completely wrong. Both are completely wrong. You are a sinner just like me. And God can save you just like he saved that tax collector, just like he saved the Apostle Paul, just like he saved all of us. He saved us. You see, Paul came to this realization in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He tells us, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Why does he say he's the worst? Well, he gives this reason in verse 16. He says, look, here's what happened. This reason I was shown mercy. Me, the guy who was killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, doing everything I could to oppose Jesus. He said, I was shown mercy by me, the worst of sinners, because Christ Jesus wanted to display his immense patience as an example for all those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If Jesus can save me, he can save you because he loves all of us. His death is sufficient to pay for all of our sins. If you think that you can't come to Jesus because of your sins, oh, you're sadly mistaken. Jesus loves you. He has borne all of your sins and his life was worth more than all of us together. He gave himself for us and has paid for you. Will you respond to Jesus today? Will you respond looking inward, remembering, maybe you're thinking you're righteous, and remembering, no, no, no. The righteousness only comes from Jesus Christ. Maybe you're you're saying, "I, I can't come to him. No, you can come too. All of us are sinners saved by grace. He loves us all. After the story, it's interesting to me, the very next scene is a bunch of people bringing their children to Jesus, these babies. And at first the disciples are saying, no, no, send them away, send them away. And Jesus doesn't have time for babies and children and all of that. And Jesus was indignant and said, no, no, let the little kids come to me. Because anyone who won't receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. What needed to happen? They just had to accept. Our kids, they just eat dinner that you prepared. They just accept the gifts that you give. They accept the rides you provide. They just do. God has done it all. Will you accept the gift of Jesus Christ? Today, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, would you make today your day? Just step out. Just say, I'm coming. Maybe right where you're sitting, you're just saying, Jesus, okay, if this is real, if this is, I'm in. I want to know more. I will follow you. Will you choose to follow Jesus today? Don't trust in your own righteousness. And don't think that you cannot come. Everyone is welcome at the cross. Will you respond as Jesus calls you? The worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. If you need to know more, if you want to pray with someone, I'm going to be at the front. Pastor Barry will be here. Pastor David, if you need someone to talk to, we're here to speak with you. You respond as Jesus is calling you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift that is your son. Thank you for the gift of eternal life and all that we have in him. Father, would you teach us to walk in his ways? We pray this all in his name the name of Jesus.